Hey, Mountain. Ah, time to get up. Time to have an awakening. Time to have an awakening. You're experiencing someone having an awakening right here. I thought maybe if I brought in a bed and you had to watch how stupid and hard it looks for me to get out of bed, it would maybe help all of us see and maybe feel what it's like to have an awakening. To get roused out of whatever comfortable place we're in, to hear whatever alarm is going off, and to have an awakening. How many of you have a hard time waking up? Anybody have a hard time waking up in the morning? Any heavy sleepers? Any snorers? You're like, no, I don't think so. No, I don't believe I do. So, yeah. My daughter, I asked my daughter if I could tell you this, and she said it was okay. So my daughter's in high school. She's like, she can sleep through anything. She has this alarm right by her head, and it goes off like, and it's so loud and piercing and it obnoxious, and she just slips there blissfully. Like she, she's done, we've just left it go. I'm hoping the thing just burns out, but it just goes for hours, and she just sits there and sleeps through it. Crazy. Waking up is hard to do. Actually, there's a song about that, isn't there? Waking up is... Oh, that's breaking up. Never mind. Uh, Carla and I just celebrated our uh, anniversary uh, a little bit ago, and we went to New York City, and uh, we were ended up at this kind of cheap hotel in Queens, actually, and we get into this room, and you know how you always get to the room, you go and open the curtains and look out the window. We look out the window, and there is a train track going right by our room, like, I'm not kidding, 25 feet away. We're like, holy cow, Okay. And uh, then a train comes rumbling by, and it's just like shaking the room, like everything's rattling on the... It's like, oh man, this is going to be interesting. But you know what? We were so tired that when I crashed and went to bed, I didn't hear a thing. I never heard a single train. I just slept through everything. You know, see, and I think, I think um, all of us actually have that ability, not just with physical sleep, but in life. And it's not always a good thing. To be able to sort of put off alarms and sounds that come to us that really could be awakening us. Awaken us not to, to, to life, the way it's meant to be lived, and awakening us to a connection with God that's closer than we are now. And God wants us to have that kind of awakening because all of us have, um, I don't know where you find yourself today, but all of us, the Bible says, like sheep have gone astray. All of us have either kind of run from God or uh, maybe just wandered or drifted a little bit. And God wants us to have this kind of awakening. And one of the alarms that God sends into your life and mine is some of the deep longings that each human being, including you, have inside of you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How God uses longings as an alarm to bring us an awakening to himself. You know, uh, when I was in high school, I remember I was up in the cabin in Minnesota. I was going out on the lake, and we have one of those little air mattresses that you fill up and you, you lie on it and go float around, you know. And I was really tired. I went out on the, on the little bay where we were, and I was floating around, and I fell asleep. And while I'm floating around on this raft in the, in the water, I have a dream, crazy dream. Like in the dream, I'm with my friends, and then all of a sudden I have to give up, stand up and give a talk about canoe, uh, canoe safety. Okay, which was not too out of the weirdness because uh, I, I did that talk frequently. I worked at a camp. And so, so there I am. I'm kind of talking to them about the paddling and all this stuff. And they're very impressed, you know, and all this. And then all of a sudden I have to have this horrific sensation that I have wet my pants. 
right there in front of everybody while I'm talking. And I begin to, I kind of take a look down in my dream. I'm looking down. It's like, sure enough, I'm all wet in the nether region. And now I'm like tucking it in my dream. I'm tucking it in, trying to waddle around, hoping they don't notice, holding the paddle in front. It was a terrible, it was a horrifying, embarrassing dream. And then all of a sudden, I'm transported in my dream over to when I'm much younger at my cousin's house, having a sleepover. And once again, same theme, I'm talking to myself in my dream and I'm saying to myself, Ben, get up. You're about to wet the bed. Go to the bathroom because you're going to be embarrassed at your cousins. And of course, and I don't really wake up. But then all of a sudden, I wake up in reality and I'm back floating on the raft in the lake thinking about these strange dreams I just had. And that's when I realized that the air mattress had lost a little air and a wave had come by or something and washed up a bunch of water under my britches, under my swimsuit. And I'm soaked down there, and my sleeping brain had taken all that stuff and made up these crazy dreams about me wetting my pants. Am I the only one who has weird dreams like this? <laughs> Come on, don't leave me hanging, please. Okay, thank you. So, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, where you're kind of half in, half out, and you, you're not exactly sure what's going on. You've maybe got a voice that's saying to you, wake up, wake up, wake up, but you just kind of work it into your dream somehow. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, that happens. You think it's maybe in your dream, but it's really from outside the dream. It's kind of hard to wake up when you're clinging tenaciously to your dream fantasy state. But then when you finally, here's what an awakening is. When you finally realize that that voice isn't just part of your fantasy dream, it's from outside. It's not imaginary, it's real. And then you pay attention to it. Well, that's an awakening. When you finally realize that that beep, beep, beep is not the oven timer and, oh, I must go get my award-winning pie out of the oven. No, no, no. That's actually your alarm clock. Get up and, you know, go to work, right? You kind of, all of a sudden, you have this awakening. When, when that bright light you've been dreaming about is not the stage lights and you're on uh, America's Got Talent about to win the major award. No, the bright light is the sun coming through your bedroom window telling you it's time to get up and let the cat out, right? And if I were you, I wouldn't let it back in, but... Um, or, or when you're sleeping and that tugging on your arm, you think that, that's, the, that's an alligator trying to yank you into the swamp and you must fight it and you must lead the hobbits out of the fire swamp or whatever. You're know, having this big dream and you realize it's just your wife yanking on your arm gently saying, honey, wake up, the game is over. Raven's lost, come on. <laughs> no, just, just teasing, just teasing, 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 teasing. You have to have that kind of awakening. <laughs> When you have that sensual kiss in the middle of your sleep, you're like, oh, that was very forward. I'm shocking. What am I going to do about that? And you realize it's the dog licking your face, right? And, and we, you have that voice. You realize, okay, it's not imaginary. This is real. What I need to do is wake up and move from this state to another. That's what God wants to have happen in our lives. And God does the same thing with us, not just in sleep but in, in life. He, he, he tugs at us gently sends us the light of His Son, speaks with His voice, sends off alarm clocks all the time. And one of the ways He does that is through the longings that each of us feel in here. I believe every one of us has longings inside of us that are put there by God, that are meant to pull and tug and point us to His truth and who He is and a relationship with Him. Tugs and voices that are longings inside of us that speak of love and meaning and purpose in life. 
And you, often what we do is just like when we're sleeping, we try to fight it off and work it into our, our life the way we want to and just kind of keep sleeping and stay in the comfortable, unroused state that we are. But those longings, my friends, and that voice that you hear sometimes are the very things God means to pull us out of our boring, sleepwalking existence, our slumbering attitudes, and give us an awakening to the closest connection with God and to a life that's the fullest and best we've ever meant to have. And so we do want an awakening, even if it means rousing from our sleep. And so those longings, if we'll pay attention to them, can lead us to a closer connection with God than we've ever had. And I believe we all need that kind of awakening. I hope you're ready for that kind of awakening. I don't know where you find yourself with God uh, today. We're someplace with God. You know, I don't suppose any of us are ever really far from God, but sometimes we sure feel that way, don't we? Feel pretty disconnected. Maybe not on speaking terms with God. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe, maybe you're um, someone who's kind of run from God or you're mad at God or maybe, um, maybe you've just kind of drifted like we talked about last week. Or maybe you're someone who's trying earnestly to walk and talk with God. But, you know, it, it, it's just becoming clearer to you that you could use an awakening as well. Whoever you are, wherever we find ourselves, we're going to encourage each other through this series, beginning today, to listen to the voice of God in us, however it comes to us, whatever alarm clock He sends into your life, to bring a kind of awakening. Now, can I remind us that God's, God's voice isn't always loud and boisterous and like right in your face in an audible voice. It's not going to come that way. I think of like um, Elijah in the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 19 in the book of, uh, in the Old Testament part of the Bible, he desperately wanted to hear from God. Like, maybe you're ready to hear from God right now. And he thought it was going to be some dramatic thing. And, and it says there was this big tornado and a big windstorm that came through, and he thought, surely the Almighty God will speak through the tornado. But God wasn't in the tornado. And then there was an earthquake, and he thought, surely God will speak to me in this cataclysmic event. And God was not in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, and he thought, surely this, you know, heat and impressive fire will be the way that God will speak to me, like he did Moses in a burning bush, but no. And then it says, in verse 12, and then there came a gentle whisper. Just a whisper. And that's when Elijah heard from God. And very often in my life, that's when I've heard from God. Not in, the, not in sometimes the loud, boisterous trains going by in my room but a whisper God speaks to us in a lot of ways he speaks to us through creation messages implanted in, all over in nature he speaks to us through other believers who sometimes whose counsel can be influenced by God to help us see and understand truth he speaks to us clearly through his word his revelation of the bible the scriptures themselves and most clearly through Jesus, the, the word in the flesh, right? We get to know a lot about God from Jesus. But you know, one of the other ways that God speaks to us is, is how he made us. And he built and hardwired into us certain longings that are there and undeniable and universal to all of us. They're there inside of you. These, these voices that are there. 
And sometimes they're nothing more than a strong sense or a nudge or a longing or a yearning or an unfulfilled desire or a sense that there's got to be something more, something like this. Here's the principle, friends. We've got to understand that God has placed some of those longings in your heart. And the reason he did so is that you would hear those as whispers of God calling you back to himself because God alone is the only one who can fulfill the longings that are in your heart. And so we're going to be looking at five awakenings that pretty much everybody goes through if you find your way to God. Five awakenings, these, these sort of moments that are on everyone's spiritual journey in one way or another. Uh, number one is like an awakening to longing. We're going to talk about that today. That sense where you say there's got to be something more. And then there's another awakening where you kind of awaken to regret, where you say, man, I wish I could have a do-over. I want to start over. And then you awaken to need that, man, I, I, I need some help. I can't do this on my own. And then there's an awakening to love, where you say, God really does love me after all. And finally, the awakening to life itself, where you say, ha, I never knew it was out there, but this is what life could be. This is life. This is life. We're going to look at one of those each week. And today we're going to begin with that awakening to longing, that, that sense of longing that leads a person to say, and maybe you've said this at some point in your life if you've ever been honest enough to do so, man, there's got to be something more. There's got to be more. You ever said that or felt that? Where you have some kind of experience and you say, this is it? Really? This all there is? Is that as good as it gets? It's got to be. There's got to be something more than this. I think we all have those experiences. My friend Dory told me how when she was in fourth grade, she had a massive crush on another boy in her class, Charles Green. He was amazing. He was just a great kid, and she just loved him so much, and you just couldn't wait to be around him and everything. And well, then it happened one day in gym class. They were going to watch a movie. Of course, what else are you going to do in gym class except sit down and watch a film, right? So anyway... These kids are, they put these mats down on the floor, you know, and they're going to lie down and watch the, the movie in gym class. And sure, she puts her mat down. And it, Charles comes over and puts his mat right next to hers. And then they're lying there watching the movie. And it's going to happen. He starts reaching his hand over and she starts reaching her hand over. And they hold hands. Yes, 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 yes. She was hoping and excited about this. This is like the moment she's been waiting for. She's holding hands with Charles Green. And then she says, I'm in fourth grade, and almost immediately, within seconds, it hit me. That's it? You know, she thought it would be more awesome. And his hands were kind of slimy, sweaty, and he was squeezing too tight, and didn't like the angle on her wrist, and... I mean, she was proud of it, and she's raised it up and showed everyone she's holding hands with Charles, but inside she's thinking, really, this is it? Probably every one of us has had a similar experience, where something that you were sure you put your hopes on is going to be amazing, and it ends up kind of being just sort of, meh, like a disappointment. Maybe you can relate, because I think the refrain of every human being, eventually in life, is just like Dory's. Is this all there is? There's got to be more. It's a universal that's so long, so, so universal, this longing. It's in the stories we write. It's in the art we create. It's in the songs that we sing, isn't it? This longing, there's got to be more. I want, the, the, the life has got to have more. See, uh, let's prove the point. Uh, I'll start by singing the first few lines of some songs that I bet you know, and you everybody together sing the rest of the line back to me okay 
No, don't leave me hanging on this one, please. And I didn't say speak it. You're going to sing it now. Are you ready? Can you, are you ready for this? You ready? Are you ready? Okay. All right. Here we go. You can't always get what you want. What you want. I like this guy's little whine up here. Wow. Yeah. How about this one? I still haven't found. All right. And some of you old people are like, I still haven't found the words to that song. What are you talking about? What is that? Yeah. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Right. How about this one? Looking for love in yeah, please stop right there. Thank you. <laughs> I can't get no. I can't get no satisfaction. I'm looking for love and all. See, all these classic pieces of art are proof that we have this universal longing in our spirits. But we really do, don't we? And they can be an alarm clock that sounds when you have that sense to awaken us to something more important and lead us eventually home. I want you to hear the story of some friends, Bryce and uh, Melissa and Jake, right now on video. And as you listen to their story, maybe you can hear that refrain, there's got to be something more, even though they don't use those words. And you can also be thinking about your own story. Watch the screen. My father was an alcoholic, so I grew up in that type of a, of a home. Once I became of age, drinking was just natural. I saw it, I did it, participated in it, got heavy into it. My first marriage was not very successful, and it ended fairly, fairly soon. I had a daughter with my first wife, and uh, I was very into being a, a daddy. Having my daughter gone was very, very difficult. Uh, and it was probably at that time, as far as from a drinking standpoint, it got a lot heavier. Got married again, got into the same, same habits, same routine. My first marriage lasted five years. I had a daughter, got divorced. My second marriage lasted five years. I had a daughter, got divorced, didn't really learn from my experiences. It was more a day-to-day, -day, I want to feel good today, however that was. Alcohol, sex, success at work. Uh, there was no real foundation of anything significant that I was searching for. That was rock bottom for me. I've had two failed marriages in 10 years two daughters that are no longer with me on a day-to-day -day basis and I'm by myself at this point. My journey started when I was two years old and my mom and my um, dad divorced and I, we had lived with my grandmother for a long time and she had then at the, mo at the time gave us an ultimatum to stay with her or to leave and my grandmother and I did not have a good relationship. My mother and my grandmother did not have a good relationship. I met my ex-husband when I was a junior. Um, it was great in the beginning. I didn't really know who I was though at 16, 17 years old to be in, in love or even know what it meant. It was just something was missing, but I just was so in the moment and wanted like to get married and the whole fairy tale that I kind of pushed those feelings aside. Um, once we had my daughter, it definitely took a turn for the worse. His behavior changed and my behavior changed and I wanted out about a year after. and So I stuck with it for a little bit longer and we went to therapy. And then once I found out I was pregnant with my son, I felt like I was just stuck. I, you know, I have two kids and I definitely don't want to be a single mom with two kids. So I knew something had to change and I just kind of went the wrong way to make that change. I had an affair and then on Father's Day weekend, I had another affair and the man that I had an affair with ended up being my boyfriend for a few years after 
me and my ex-husband separated. I think from the beginning of being with a grandmother that treated me like a piece of crap to now being in a relationship that I'm just destroyed and slept with multiple men, but there was no God. And if he was there, he was not a nice person. Uh, I grew up in a, a Christian home um, with two parents who also grew up in, in Christian families. When I was young, about seven, my, my parents moved to a camp in Central Illinois, a Christian youth camp. And that was a really, really cool way to grow up, uh, just surrounded by youth groups and, and Christian kids. And coupled with that, I also grew up in the church, surrounded by a family that uh, didn't just believe it, but they lived it. For me, growing up, uh, the key word I think in my family would be acceptance. Uh, I didn't find that out till later that that was a key word, but it was exactly what I knew growing up. No matter what I did, I would always be loved, um, exactly as I am in any moment. You know, I had a faith. I saw how it had played out in my family's lives, but I did not have a direction, and I did not have a purpose that I felt like I was being pulled towards or, or called to just kind of searching, longing for a fulfillment that it seemed like everybody else in my family had and I just hadn't found yet. So maybe you can hear in their story um, a, a longing for something more. And maybe your story is different than theirs in certain ways. Maybe you can resonate with a lot of what you heard there. Maybe it's the same or different, I don't know, than, you know, some divorces and some affairs or some alcohol or, or maybe just growing up in that perfect home but still not quite finding your place and having it be real for you. We all have a story, and I think we also all know what it's like to have some longings go unfulfilled, to find ourselves in places in life that we never expected we'd be. We all know what that's like. And maybe even in this moment, you ponder, you know, your life and you find yourself thinking some version of, I wonder if there's more. I wonder if this is it. Well, Jesus has a lot to offer by way of help when we're in that place. He really does. And one of the ways that Jesus often comes to us is just by telling a story to help us find our way to God. And one of the best stories he tells in that regard is found in Luke chapter 15. Luke was one of Jesus' friends who did a great job of capturing some of the teaching and the ministry and the life and the impact of Jesus in this book of Luke. And in chapter 15, there's a story that Jesus tells, and it does two things for us. It helps us get a picture of God in this story, and you're going to see that. But the other thing it does, and where we want to focus today, is it helps us see ourselves. And every one of us is in this story in certain ways, maybe even in many ways. It's a story about a man with two sons, and the younger son is saying to himself, this is it, there's got to be more. He sort of has this dissatisfaction, this sense of longing rise up inside of him, and, and he says, i got to do something about this. He wants to fill that longing, and what he chooses to do is instead of turning toward home, Instead of assuming that it could be found on the ranch with father and so forth, he sets off to a distant country because it's always in the elusive beyond, isn't it, that we think we're going to find what we're looking for? Isn't, it, isn't that the way we are? It's always out there somewhere. So off he goes. 
Maybe you can find yourself in this story. It begins, verse 11, goes like this. There was a man who had two sons. Jesus is telling the story. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. A selfish, impetuous demand from my younger son, not even the oldest son. And so, amazingly, the father, he divided his property between his sons. Now, you've got to remember a couple things about ancient Near Eastern culture here when this is being told. In that culture, honor was a really big deal, and the father possessed all the honor, and a son's job was to honor your father and your mother. And one of the ways you did that is you took care of them in their old age, and you inherited the family farm and the family business, and you tilled that ground that your father and his father before him and his father before him had, had, had worked so hard to pass on to you. And instead, this is one of the greatest insults. The son comes and says, I want mine now. Which, as some authors have pointed out, is like the equivalent of saying, Dad, you might as well be dead to me. I'd, I'd rather have you dead. Because when do you get an inheritance? When your father dies. Dad, I don't care about you. I want my stuff. Give me my stuff now. I don't want this old farm. I don't like these old ways. I don't like these people. I don't like this routine. I wish you were dead. And so, remember, there's no way to liquidate uh, you know, some of this stuff. And go, He's not going to go to the bank and, and, and transfer funds into his son's debit card. He's got to sell something. He's got to maybe sell the farm or part of it or something. So every morning when he gets up and looks out the window and he sees that land that his grandfather before him and his grandfather before him had passed on, now he's got some people living on it because he had to sell that part all as a daily reminder that his son said, Dad, I want what's mine. I wish you were dead. And amazingly, the father does it. Now, before we write off this son as a, you know, a big jerk and, you know, something Donald Trump would call a total loser, before, before we... Before we just sort of go after the son, you know, and bash him like that, we, you know, like, can we just stop and be honest and admit that all he's doing really is expressing out loud what probably all of us have felt at some time or other. Like life wasn't really bringing what we'd hoped. Like there's got to be something more coming to me. Like maybe it wasn't giving us what we wanted or what we deserved. We hunger for purpose in life. And sometimes we look at our lives and we think, man, is this all there is? So this kid, all he's really doing is he's listening to that voice inside of him that we all have. Now, not every desire we have is a good one, right? We have desires that get all corrupted and twisted, all messed up, definitely not. But our longings for purpose and for love and for meaning to make sense out of the hard things in life. These things are longings that come from God and they can always lead us in one of two directions. Toward God or away from God. And this son chose to let those longings lead him in a bad direction. Isn't that how we often do it? The longings put there by God to draw us back to himself, we take instead and we pursue them by trying to fulfill them in a bad direction. And it always leads us to a distant country, a place we really don't want to be very long. So this is one of the loud voices inside of us that can lead to a real awakening for us, okay? This is, the first one is a longing for purpose. Everybody say purpose. Purpose, purpose. purpose. Because 
We do all long to know that we matter, that we're here on the planet for a reason, that we're, we're not just here to suck air and take up space. We're, we're, we're meant to make a contribution, that we're meaningful. That's why we dream as kids about being an astronaut or a firefighter or a nurse or what have you, because we want to know what's my purpose. And in that longing, it can lead you toward God or away from God. So what about you? In that longing that's there for purpose, are you numbing that longing Make it go away, or if you let it rise up, where are you letting it lead you, toward God or away from God? There's also a longing for love. Everybody say love. Love. Is there any deeper desire that any of us has than to love and be loved? I don't think so. It's so pervasive and so universal, and it's there in the boy as well. It's in your story as well. Drives us to do all kinds of things. Verse 13 says this, not long after that, the younger son got all his belongings together and he set off for a distant country. I'm going to get my stuff that's mine now and I'm going to go. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. He went off to Vegas. He went off to Nashville, you know, at some exotic place like Elkton. A distant country means, you know, that exotic far-off place where the grass is greener, right? The thing in our mind, we're going to have a good life. And wild living is a phrase in the Bible that refers to, you can kind of let your imagination run wild. And these, you know, it was a combination of girls gone wild or all the things that yeah, back home on the farm he was so fettered in on. He just, you know, so restricted. So, you know, whatever. You, you fill in the blank. Spring break, Ocean City, binge drinking, whatever you want. All night parties, lots of drugs, all the girls you want. Have sex, whatever you want. The older brother, we don't know exactly what wild living was for the young boy, but the older brother later says to the father, that younger brother of you has wasted all his money on prostitutes. Maybe the older brother knew something about him. Maybe there was some history there. But I think, again, we all have a little of that desire. We all have a deep longing for love, for connection, to find someone who gets me. To find someone who will accept me and love me and be with me. Someone I can trust and feel close to. Someone I can relax around. Someone who is there for me. And friend, that longing that you have for love is put there by God. The very first page of the Bible, it says it's not good for these human beings to be alone. They need each other. And so we come out of the womb clawing for another to hold us and to hold. It's the way it is. And we let that longing drive us to all kinds of places. God put that longing in you so that you would ultimately find your way to Him, the fulfillment of love in an unconditional, satisfying way. Now, we, we use that longing to drive us in all kinds of directions, however. Someone has said, every man who has ever knocked on the door of a brothel is looking for God. A brothel is a house of prostitution. In our sometimes empty pursuits, we aren't even aware sometimes what we're really looking for is love. And that we're meant to find that love in God. Every, every man who changed his Gmail account and signed up for Ashley Madison was looking for a love that can only be found in God. Everyone who hooks up at a bar on Friday or gets desperate or what have you 
we're looking for love. Knocking on the door for things that can only be found at the house of God back home. And this longing for love, you see, it can lead us toward God. It's meant to. Or it can lead us away from Him. Where are you letting the, the longing for love lead you in your life? And then there is, in this story, this crazy turn of events where all the money runs out and this kid, is all of a sudden, there's a famine in the land and he's in very bad shape. He finds himself, you know, working for a local farmer, hired out. He's so desperate, he's working in the pigsty. You know, here's a Jewish boy. He's not supposed to go near pigs. Now he's like living with them, shoveling their poop and wants to eat their food. He's rock bottom, in other words. It's a bad place. And so he's finding out this third longing. The, the longing, we've got the longing for purpose. We've got the longing for love. And then there's the longing for meaning. Everybody say Meaning. Meaning is where you're looking for answers, where you're trying to understand things, where you're hungry for that. And every one of us goes through a period like that, or maybe we live with it perpetually. Why is this happening? You begin to ask questions. And the search for meaning, the longing for meaning, comes most vividly to our lives when things get hard, when things aren't going how we want. It's the beginning of an awakening, but, but we start to ask, you know, why? I feel like I'm getting ripped off. I'm getting screwed in life. What's that? Why is all this happening? We long for meaning. And think about this boy. His life is maybe just like ours in some ways. Because his longing for purpose sure wasn't being fulfilled how he thought it was going to be. He doesn't feel very purposeful like that's what his life was really meant to be. Is this all there is, really? And his longing for love sure wasn't being met on the doors of the brothels he was knocking on. And it leads him to this questioning. Why is my life so screwed up? Why are things going so badly? Maybe you've had these questions. How did I end up here? What's going on when life gets hard, when there are struggles? That's questions. That's the hunger for meaning. And when you ask yourself, why are you in so much pain? I don't have a short, easy snippet answer for you today. I don't want to make light of anyone's pain. But if suffering is causing you to question God, I invite you to think about this. Even the fact that your suffering feels painful, even the, even the notion that you have a sense of injustice, that this isn't right, it's not fair, this is hard, it shouldn't be this way, even that is an impulse planted in you by God. Even that, that sense that there shouldn't be pain and hurt and breakups and job loss and frustration and difficulty and cancer and death, you're right. All of those things are signposts. When you become aware that is not the way the world should be, you are saying, uh, you are leaning into a God who says, I agree with you. And there are signposts to lead you back to a God who turns out to be a God of justice, a God of fairness, a God of love, a God of protection, who doesn't laugh at us from a distance, who doesn't say, boy, tough break for you down there, but who enters into our world, into our suffering, comes among us as Jesus Christ, who suffers himself on a cross in pain, in real blood, so that he can put the world back together again, and he's in process doing it right now. And your sense that this is not the way the world is supposed to be is exactly right, and God agrees with you. And that sense that we're all messed up and that longing is one more way of God's voice trying to put a reach out and alarm clock to you. And often I have found in my own life and in 
the lives of lots of people I'm talking to right now, it is suffering that serves as the greatest spiritual awakening for many of us. And often it's not until life gets a little hard that we're finally ready to sort of wake up to the things of God. You probably know what I'm talking about. Isn't that true? It's the hard times, not the easy ones, that God uses to draw us to himself. So, I don't know about your story, what your real life and your real meaning is all uh, about, where you're looking for purpose or love these days. The important thing is this, to notice, that these longings that are there in every human being are hardwired in by the Creator God. The problem is not the longings, my friends. The problem comes when we seek to satisfy and fulfill those empty places and that longing inside of us without God. And it always leads us to a distant country, a place we don't really want to be. And so I'm, I'm praying for you that you'll have an awakening, that the longings inside of you, if you'll be honest enough to let them surface, that you won't numb them and just shut them down, that you won't just kind of not listen to them, that you would let them, the truth of where you are dissatisfied in life, lead you to the God who can bring ultimate satisfaction. Jesus wants to help us find our way. He is the one. Jesus is the one, you guys who provides us with purpose and a mission and a reason for being here and an exciting reason to get out of bed every day. Jesus is the one who gives us unconditional love that will, He will never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus is the one who can help us sort through the impossible questions of life with a God who will never let you go. So let me ask you a question. As we think about these longings, where are you going to satisfy these God-given longings? Where will you go to satisfy them? Because every choice you make can lead you closer to God or further away. Where do you go for your purpose, really? Where do you go for love? Where do you go for meaning, for answers? Let me ask you a follow-up question. Will that draw you closer to God or further away from God, do you suppose? James 4.8 reminds us, friends, if you'll draw near to God, He will draw near to us. So I'm going to invite you to draw near to God. That's how an awakening begins. And the best way I can think of to tell you to do that would be to just to, to, to pray to God, to talk to God in a real way. The real you having a real conversation with the real God. To say, God, I've got these longings. I do long to be loved. I do long for meaning. I do want purpose in my life. And to lean into Him as the source of that. Now, praying, praying may be scary for you. It may be something you feel awkward or don't know how to do or aren't comfortable. And it may be something that you do a lot. Or maybe it's become sort of just boring and ordinary for you. But either way, I just pray that you will draw near to God in a deeper, more life-changing way than you ever have before. And I'm inviting you to do it right now. Uh, I, let me give you some words that you may use if you'd like as part of your prayer for the rest of this service. Here's a prayer. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me and awaken in me the ability to see that you are what's missing in my life. It's a beautiful prayer. God, 
Make yourself real to me. Awaken me to yourself. And awaken in me the ability to see that what's missing in my life is you. It's you. Let's pray that prayer. God, we do call out to you now. We need you, Lord. And we don't want to have to run after love anymore. We don't want to search endlessly for purpose or meaning or life's answers. Lord, we know we need you and we ask you to awaken us now. Awaken each one of us so we can find our true home in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.